I have had the uh, opportunity, a uh, time or two in the lands of Russia, to be there during, not on Easter, but in the Easter season, uh, as they prepare. Uh, there is a, an excitement there that I would give anything if I could bottle it and bring it back to the United States. Because, um, as I shared earlier, without the resurrection, it's just another person was crucified. And they figure that uh, about 400,000 were crucified at the fall of Jerusalem, and yet none of them a Savior. And I think that there's times that if we don't understand that the tomb is empty, um, then we have really missed what it is we're about and what it is that has been given to us. I have been to the tomb and it is empty. And trust me, if it wasn't, we would have some kind of monument or church because if you travel around Israel, any place something happened, there's a church. And I mean, there's a church on the Mount of the Transfiguration. There's a church on the Sermon on the Mount. There's a church by Peter's house. There's a, wherever something goes on, somebody puts up a church. And it's kind of funny. The Catholics put up the church and they say, this is the real location. And then the Orthodox put up another church and say, actually, this is the real. So you have however you want to do it. Uh, you go to the tomb of Christ and you can have, there's a group that worships where Golgotha is. There is a group that worships where they believe that the tomb is. And then they all take turns. Uh, and then upstairs in the belfry of the church is the Ethiopians and they have oversight over all of it. And it's funny because the keys to the church, everybody fights over this place. The keys of the church are held by a Muslim. And they can't come in unless the Muslim shows up with the key. So trust me, if his body was in the tomb, we would know it. They have a headless body in the Vatican. That is John the Baptist. I think it's Paul. But anyway, um, I don't know how you do a DNA test of that. But I want to have a word of prayer, then we'll jump into 1 Corinthians 15. Father, Thank you for the resurrection. Thank you that the offering for my sin, for our sins, was paid in full and was accepted. Father, when I think for us, the worthless, you did that in your plan, in your timing. Father, I, I don't understand. Help us who are called by your name. Help us who are here for such a time as this. Father, walk, live, exalt in the power of the resurrection. Help us, Lord. Help us to bow before you in holiness. Father, in the power that only spoke existence into being, help us to be overwhelmed. To your glory and praise, in Christ's name, amen. Someone has written, I have a two quotes here I'd like to share with you quickly. <clears throat> I do not know who said this, but it is a quote. Quote, there is a preacher of the old school, but he speaks as boldly as ever. 
He is not popular, though the world is his parish, and he travels every part of the globe and speaks in every language. He visits the poor. He calls upon the rich. He preaches to everyone of every religion and no religion. And the subject of his sermon is always the same. He is an eloquent preacher, often stirring feelings which no other preacher could, and bringing tears to the eyes that have never wept. His arguments none are able to refute, nor is there any heart that has remained unmovable by the force of his appeals. He shatters life with his message, and most people hate him. Everyone fears him. His name? Death. Every tombstone is his pulpit. Every newspaper prints his text. And someday, every one of you will be his sermon. Unquote. Thomas Gray said, The boast of heraldry, the pomp of power, and all that beauty and all that wealth ever gave await alike the inevitable hour. The paths of glory lead but to the grave. Unquote. I don't care who you are. I don't care how old you are. I don't care what your projected income is. I do not care what nationality you are, what race you are. I do not care what culture you come from. And you know what? And I probably don't even care what your beliefs are. But I do know this one thing. Every single one of us get death. Thought you was going to have a cheerful message on Easter, didn't you? <laughs> I think what happens to us at times is that we get sidetracked with life and we turn our back on death. And yet it is there. I don't care how old you are. Uh, we have a family in this church today whose little boy who's less than six months old is intubated in the hospital and no one would have thought that this infant would be this close, surely. We don't know when it's coming. You don't have any guarantees. I tell people the only thing that you, the single most precious thing that you have today is time. What are you doing with it? Because you know what? I don't know how much I got in the bank. Uh, as I was growing up, I had people who would wager large sums of money. I wouldn't see 25. Um, on my father's side of my family, no one made it past 44. So um, I'm at 52 now, and I'm living the dessert life. I wish I'd have got some of that action for 25, but anyway... Let me share with you why, because I kind of entitled this message and I was thinking about it is that do you understand the single greatest issue that man has right now? There's only one issue and no, it's not Wall Street. 
There is only one issue. Sin. Let me ask you a question. If you had the cure for cancer right now, okay, what would you do with it? What would you do with it? I know. I'm going to get rich. I'm selling it. (laughs) I'm about to become wealthy. (laughs) What would you do with it? And yet you who are known to Christ and know Christ this day have the cure for everything that ails man. It's a fascinating concept when you really think about it. And you know what? We have an empty tomb in Jerusalem that proves it. And yet, how many of us live in light of the resurrection? How many have lived lives empowered by the resurrection? How many of us have a focus on the resurrection? You know what? We can quote scripture. But what do you do with this one? It is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. And the life that I live, I live to Christ. That's, that's, that's Paul. Okay, let me share with you this text. comes out of Romans chapter 8. The mind that is set on the flesh, verse 6, is death. But the mind that is set on the spirit is life and peace. The mind that is set on the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God. It is not even able to do so. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. If you take the book of the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, you take all 16 chapters and you lay it out there like this. It's death, it's, its main emphasis is your and my personal holiness in the body of Christ. Okay? It's fascinating to me in this day and age to punish a Christian, you set him outside the church, and yet how many Christians are faithful to a local congregation? And yet, we would prefer to be in the place of punishment. And I have to ask a simple question. Do you believe the Bible? As long as I can edit it, I'll believe it. Right? And yet, I see that on a regular basis. And then, yet, you take this book, 1 Corinthians, and it is dealing with your personal holiness because 2 Corinthians deals with ministry. This is what you're going to do once you get this issue dealt with. And right smack in this book, you find chapter 15. And it was literally believed that by some people in the body of Christ at the church in Corinth, you've got to understand, this is a church. This is not a cult. This is not a group of people who think it's a church. This is a church that Jesus Christ planted in one of the most vile pagan cities you could ever dream of. This Corinth makes Las Vegas look saintly. Okay? And then right here in the oldest letter that we've got dealing with the resurrection comes 15, chapter 15. That is fascinating that he starts it out here. And you can break this chapter in to the certainty of the resurrection, the consequences of the res- resurrection, characteristics of the resurrection and the consummation of the resurrection. Uh, our fellowship has gone through this. Uh, I will not go back through it because they will tell you that it was almost a year to get through chapter 15. And I don't think we need to stay here until next year. 
But I do want to bring out a couple of things and I want us to think about this because I believe there's times in the body of Christ today when I see Christians with the greatest intentions. I Bless your hearts. But he, I already read to you the text. If you're trying to please Jesus Christ in your own energy, then you've missed the power of the resurrection. If you missed the power of the resurrection, you or what you are doing is in your flesh and your flesh is hostile to God. So what is it you're doing? My son would tell me, you're wasting time. You're wasting time. He starts it out. Now, brethren, I make known to you the gospel which I preach to you, which you receive, verse 1, in which you stand. Okay, this is the key to this. You understand when you go to church, when you go to Bible study, when you go to Sunday school, you are given information. Okay, you are updating your computers, the one that's between your ears. Okay, that's what you're doing. But then comes, do you stand in that? Do you stand in that? And I was discussing this in my Sunday school lesson this morning. (laughs) God brought the word from heaven to us. I mean, it came out of heaven. Okay, that would be on the other side of existence as you know it. That's where it came from. All right? And yet, for him to get it from your head to your heart is harder. And it takes a divine hammer to get that accomplished. Or maybe it doesn't for you. It did me, and I still, see, I have the knots to prove it. But when you think about this, he says, you have received it. That would be your salvation. And the proof of your salvation is what? You stand in it. But then he says, by which you were saved, if you what? Now, you want to get into trouble. (laughs) I have been in this community for a number of years, and I have confronted all kind of stuff. We'll leave it at that. The one that has gotten me into most trouble of any single subject, topic, theory, whatever, is you don't look saved. Okay, and yeah, I'm crazy enough to say that every once in a while. Don't you find that fascinating? And I tell you what, you want to talk about... And normally what happens if a person, I accuse them of that or challenge them on that, they prove to me (laughs) that they're not. (laughs) Because they're ready to kill me. (laughs) It's obvious you must not be saved. All right? But what does the Apostle Paul do right there? He challenges you, are you saved? Now listen, I've got 14 chapters of theology. And all of a sudden he challenges them on their salvation. You know why? This church was as self-centered, individualistic as any group of people I've ever seen. Well, almost any group I've ever seen. And he's saying, you know what? His first six chapters in this letter... He is chastening them up one side and down the other. And then in chapter 7, is now concerning things you wrote me. I mean, he gives them six chapters of blistering them. You are self-centered. 
And you are so self-centered that he breaks out and he says, you know what? You have corrupted the Lord's table. You have perverted spiritual gifts. You have perverted the institution of marriage. Wait, that sounds like us, doesn't it? Why? Because self was most important. And yet here he says, I delivered to you of first importance. Do you get that? And you think about it. Verse 3, I deliver you of first importance. Now, when the Bible tells me I deliver this of first importance, you know what that is for me? I really need to pay attention. Okay, and you know what the topic is? Resurrection from the dead. And you know what? You in this room will have to deal with this. You have already had questions, I guarantee you. People have asked me, what happens to those people who are cremated? I was reading about uh, the missionaries who first went to the island of Japan during the summerize. And what they would do, they were expecting this resurrection. So what they would do is they'd take the missionaries and they'd cut their heads off. And then they'd take their heads and put them in bags. And they would ride them all the way up to the north end of Japan. Because they thought, you know what? Their God won't be able to resurrect these people if they can't match the head with the body. We laugh at that and we think that's silly, but if you go to the east wall of the Temple Mound expecting the return of Jesus Christ and He will be a holy man, the Muslims and the Jews have put cemeteries because a holy man can't walk across a cemetery. So he can't enter into Jerusalem. He can't come back because we've got the way blocked. I'm like, well, there's brilliance. Didn't some of you guys come across the Red Sea with him and something like that? I don't know. Do you see what I'm trying to get at? And yet you'll have people, what happens to somebody if they're cremated? What? They'll be resurrected ashes. Look, <laughs> you were cremated in your former life, huh? You'll spend eternity look just like an ashtray. <laughs> but I see people who do this and it's in the body of Christ. Why? I see people who don't believe it. What's well, a spiritual thing? Really? Jesus says you will be as me. What does that mean? We read it this morning. First John. I don't know how it's going to work, but I can tell you this. I have a body right now that works really cool here. Doesn't it? I mean, there's times I can swim and there's times that I can go up and down stairs, you know, and I, I kind of hang out. I, you know, it's kind of cool. We got this stuff around. It's called air. And my body says, this is a good thing. You know, you can breathe it in, you can breathe it out, you can breathe it in. But you know what? There's coming a time when I'm going to get a body that has to exist in heaven. And I don't want this one. I have a little trip that I have to take between here and heaven. And it's like a long ways. And I don't want to hold my breath until I get there. And then it's kind of weird because he says, oh, it'll be instantaneously. Because if you're absent from the body, you are present with the Lord. And you know what he says? He says, we will, in a twinkling of an eye, in this text, in a twinkling of an eye, the dead in Christ will rise first, and then us who remain will follow. I don't know how that works, but for some reason I'll be able to float in the air. Call it just a plain air ride. I'll let you ponder it. I don't know how that works. I don't know how that works. But I also know this. If you go and you look at the angelic doctrine, and you'll see that there are angels and they will cover their eyes because they cannot look at the holiness of God. And they have wings that they hover by and they have wings that they shield themselves from looking on His glory, His radiance and His righteousness. And guess what? 
You and I won't need that. I don't know how that works. I don't understand a body that has no ability to sin. I do not understand a body that has no ability for sorrow. I have no idea what a body is that is a slave and it will no longer be a slave. It will be a royal priesthood. I don't understand that. I do not understand existence out of the presence of sin. I don't understand that. I have no concept of that. I can tell you what it is doctrinally. I don't have any idea what it means. And therefore, I need a different body. I need a different container. I need a body that is not impacted by aging, that is not impacted by gravity. Fascinating. Because he says, I deliver to you of first importance, which I also received, that Christ died for our sins. Oh, that was according to the scriptures. And he was buried and that he was raised again on the third day. And did I tell you that that was according to the scriptures too? You know, and I, and I watch Christians that they don't want to read the Bible. Why not? I'm kind of curious about this resurrected body thing. Because it's going to be like Christ. I know it goes through walls. Jesus went through walls. He can sit and eat. He had a big old bucket of fish. Walked through a wall. I don't know how he did it. I know that he was here and then he was over there. My body doesn't do that. Never has. And I don't think I'm going to be around if it does. <laughs> Might scare me on this side of glory. I want to show you something here because this is fascinating. He says he appeared to Cephas. Okay, that is the Greek terminology that we used to speak of Peter. He appeared to Peter, Cephas, and then to the twelve. Okay, well, who was the twelve? Well, Matthias. Okay, so we have twelve witnesses. Twelve eyeball witnesses to the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. Twenty-five years ago, I set out to disprove Scripture. Did you know that? I know you thought my count calling was something great, but I basically got mad at Christians and was tired of all of it. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to get their book and I'm going to find contradictions in this book. And I am going to beat them ragged the next time they cross my path. Okay. You know where I started? The easiest place to at all. Resurrection. That's just not a common thing. Okay. That's where I started. And yet I watched that God took his most dreadful enemies to prove the resurrection. I was like, well, that ain't right. That's not fair. And then it dawned on me, you know what? I got 12 guys. One betrayed him. One denied him. And the other ones were just vanished. And all of a sudden, they're willing at Pentecost to walk into the temple before the Sanhedrin who had just murdered their boss and tell them that they are the murderers of Messiah. What made them so brave? What made him so brave? I mean, they wouldn't even fight for him when he was around. Peter did, as long as you raise me from the dead if they kill me. But the rest of them vanished. What made him so brave? Bodily resurrection, dude. I'm not talking about a spirit. He said, touch me. 
Touch me. That's fascinating. Then he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time. Uh Uh-oh, we just went to 512 eyewitnesses. Will that hold up in court? Oh, okay, here's what he says. Some of them have fallen asleep. So I don't have the old 500. But then he appeared to James. James was his half-brother. Mom always liked him better. Right? He appeared to his half-brother. Listen, James wouldn't follow him when he was in his ministry. He thought his brother had lost his mind. And I mean, Dad never whipped him. He never did anything wrong. You see what I'm trying to get at? Listen, if you can sway your family that you're Messiah, I don't have to worry about claiming Messiah. My family would look at me and say, you're out of your mind. And yet, if you're truly honest with Scripture, then you'll find out that James was the first pastor of the first church that was ever birthed in the whole world. He pastored the church in Jerusalem. Why? Well, it's one thing to see your brother kind of get off the hook and never do anything wrong. It's another thing to say he was raised from the dead. You know what? That'll motivate you. And then he says that to the one who was untimely born, the word untimely born in the original language literally means the abortion. Sorry. That's what the term means. The aborted one. The one who was killed before it was time. He said to the untimely born, he appeared to who? Me also. And he says, and I don't even understand that. I'm the least of the apostles. I'm not even fit to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. He says, I have no idea why he called me. He says, but he was resurrected. He was standing on the road to Damascus and I'm listening. And it's obvious he listened. And see, this is one of the things I want to challenge you on today. Do you live in the power of the resurrection? The apostle Paul was on the road to Damascus. You know what he was doing? He was arresting Christians. And you know what? By the time he got to Damascus, everybody said, something different about Paul. He's changed. And I find it fascinating today that the body of Christ don't look different than the world. Why? Because she doesn't live in the power of the resurrection. If you live in the power of the resurrection, then what does the world offer you? There's nothing in the world, the government, the Democrats, the Republicans, the Muslims, the Hindus, nobody offers you resurrection except Jesus Christ. And you have received this. I mean, I know people who get up early on Easter. So they can have a sunrise something. Never understood that, really. I figured that if he shows up and wants me up, he'll get me up. Well, I did. And yet they go do that and they live just like the world 364 days a year. And then they get up early. Why? Do you understand what you're celebrating? You're celebrating a bodily resurrection of an individual. And he who believes, guess what? You get one too. At least the apostle, I'm not fit to be called an apostle because I persecuted church, but by grace of God, I am what I am. And the grace awarded to me is not proved in vain, but I labor more than all of them. Not I, but the grace of God. The grace of God. It's fascinating.
fascinating. Some in the church believe that the resurrection is for Christ and that we end up just being joined back to spiritual deity at our death. Some believe that um, the argument would be then what kind of resurrection body do you get? And Paul is adamant about it, exactly the one that God wants to give you. But it is a resurrected body. It is a real body. It is a hope that you and I have. And I want to kind of focus on verses 20 and following. But now Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits, prototokos, the preeminent one, the most important. He bears the first fruits. If you go look at the book of Leviticus, you will find out what do you offer first? First fruits, your best. That's prototokos. Prototokos. First fruits of those who sleep. The first fruits of death. It's Christ. Why? Because he came out of it. He came out of it. You have the first Adam, which brought death. And then you have the last Adam, he says in Romans. You know what that means, right? We don't have no more. Last Adam, Christ, conquered death. How do I know? He ain't there. How do I know? I've got 600 witnesses. One of them was an antagonizer. One of them was a family member. I'm sold. I'm sold. For since by man, and if you think about this, what are we looking at? What is a cure for man? Listen, man has sin. What cures human sin? It came to Adam. It's removed by Christ. I already shared with you the text. Romans 8, 7 and 8. The mind set on the flesh cannot please God. Look at it. Watch it. I, I see it all over the place, brothers and sisters. It drives me insane. I see people, and bless their hearts, are trying their best to please Jesus, except they're doing it in their own energy. Do you really, really, brothers and sisters, believe that you have any ability whatsoever to please Christ? He's only perfect. And you're going to do what? That's why Paul in chapter 2 of Galatians says, It is no longer I who live. It's not me. In Romans 5, he says, You know what? You once were a slave to sin. But now you are what? Slave to righteousness. How do I overcome slavery? That sounds like a pleasant idea, doesn't it? Christ and Christ alone. He is this first fruits. He is the preeminent one. He is, the Hebrews calls him our forerunner. He cut the path. If you go look at the invasion of Normandy, you will find out, we always talk about the, the airborne drop and all the rest of it, but two days prior to that, some guys parachuted into Normandy and nobody knows about them, nobody pays attention to them. You know what they were called? Pathfinders. They were dropped in, they were dropped in by themselves, and they waited to show landing targets. Alright? That's our pathfinder has cut the path. Now we are to follow. You'll know other my disciples. 
Right? Why? Your love for one another. He says, how will you know those disciples? Because you will deny yourselves and take up your... Think about it this way. The instrument of your execution... Okay, because I've watched guys and ladies sometimes. Well, my wife is my cross. Really? They go to jail for that, don't they? My husband is my cross. Yeah, okay. You married him. Do you understand that? Why? I'm going to serve my time here. I am here about my father's work. Here's what he says. Each in its own order. Christ the first fruit, and after those, Christ is coming. And then comes, <clears throat> he hands the kingdom of God and Father, where he abolished all rule. This is so cool. All rule and all authority and all power. Here's what happened. Before eternity started, that ought to get you thinking for a second. Oh, that was like, what? Uh, before they wrote a history book, before there was time, God the Father said, I want to show my love for my son. And here's how I'm going to do it. I am going to create humanity. We'll fall. I will redeem it and present it as a bride to my son. And Jesus says, great plan, dad. I will show my love for you in such a massive way. I will be the tool of that redemption. And I will present her chaste and pure and holy. And I will present her back to you in the fulfillment of your plan, Father. How cool is that? And what in this life can outdo that? Well, we'd like to try a Bentley. No, man. There's nothing in this world. I don't even grasp that. I don't understand that. And he says here, and then I'm going to put it in subjection to your, for he must reign until he puts all the enemies under his feet. And the last enemy is what? Death. And how did I start this message? On that cheery note. That the tombstone is his pulpit. I remember that part. I have been around long enough to bury some very precious people. Uh, parents. Loved ones. Buddies. Uh, my best man. And death still stings. But in a lot of these cases, guess what? It's basically catching a little while. Some it's not. And yet, do you and I look like people who live in the power of death has no victory over me? What are you going to do? Kill me? You know, people ask me, this is funny, and I was talking to my wife about it. People ask me, well, do you believe in, in the rapture? And I said, well, absolutely. And they said, well, you know, do you have biblical text? Well, I, you know, I can give you the biblical text, but I can tell you this. I will never shut up the gospel. And during that really nasty times, they'll kill me. So I ain't going to last long. Okay. And I wonder if today, if every single one of you had a life that 
came into submission to what is expounded here in 1 Corinthians so I could move into 2 Corinthians and show that I have a ministry of reconciliation, reconciling that that was lost from God through the blood of Jesus Christ that has been purchased. And it is my responsibility to preach that, whether by words or by life. And I would draw to the kingdom if each one of us lived in that ministry aspect that, guess what? I have a resurrected body. It is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. The overwhelming thing that I have in my soul at this point in time is Christ and Christ alone. That is my focus. I am a slave to righteousness. How many people would you reach? Voltar, the French philosopher, said, I would be inclined to believe in your Redeemer. Would you show me a redeemed life? And I have to ask a simple question. Is there any difference between the power of the Holy Spirit in the Apostle Paul's life and the, and the Holy Spirit in your life? I had a pastor friend of mine one time said, can you come up and teach my church to uh, love the Word like your people love the Word? And I said, what? And he says, well, yeah, can you, can you teach a message like, I don't know, on something on the Word of God? He says, well, I've seen your people at church, and they're going through the Bibles, and they're moving around. And he says, it's almost like they know where you're going. <laughs> Eight years in one book, they probably do. <laughs> and if they don't, they're visiting. <laughs> and I just smiled at him. I said, you know, I love you a lot. I said, the only way you're going to do that is if they get saved. He said, well, that seems harsh. No, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. If they love God, I get 66 love letters from He who spoke existence into being and they're personal or to me. And if I receive a love letter, I will read it and I will wear it out. Why? Because death has been abolished. For he has put all things under his feet. All things are put in subjection and is evident except by those he put in subjection to him. It will all surrender to Christ. Period. And once he is finished with it, he will slide it to us. And it all sits right there. In perfect submission to God the Father. Just like he planned it. It's a fascinating thought. I see Christians going through the motions, through all things. And yet the one thing that we miss is resurrection. Do you understand today, if you are truly a believer in Jesus Christ, death has been abolished for you? Do you understand the word abolished? Okay, we're going to partake of the Lord's table today. Do you understand why you're doing it? You have a new covenant. And for a covenant to come into force, you know what has to happen? There has to be a death. I mean, if you think about covenant, think about it from this perspective. It's like the last will and testament. The last will and testament doesn't do anything while the person is alive. But when they die, guess what? It comes in force. When you partake of the Lord's table, do you know what you just did? 
You just said, hey, I am joint heir with Jesus Christ. Why? Because he died, but he raised again, and now all things are fulfilled, and I'm just part of the party. I like that. What on this planet can give you that? I come from a checkered background, and I have friends that I run into on occasions. And, and they said, well, we hear you have become a man of faith. And I just smile at him. And I said, you know what? I'm 52 years old and I've never met a person who's not a person of faith. Okay? It just depends on what you put your faith in. Okay? I'm an electrician also. And I have never seen electricity. I have seen its effects. Okay? Um, it has talked to me a couple of times. Um <laughs> One time I had electricity lay hands on me, okay, but I've never seen it. But you know what? I have all the faith in the world. It exists. I remember a professor one time trying, well, you know, this is all theory. And I was like, okay, <laughs> watch this. All right. I've never met anybody who's not had faith. You drive. You're driving down the road. Does that line in the center actually keep cars from hitting you? No, it is by faith that you hope <laughs> that they're not from England. <laughs> it's not funny. I was in... Nah, never mind. Anyway, <laughs> it grows people's faith. How much faith do you have in the resurrection? Anybody here seen somebody resurrected? I haven't. And yet I know 600 eyewitnesses. That works for me. That works for me. I want you to think about this because the consequences of the resurrection is the single thing that makes Christianity completely different than anything else. The Muslims have no resurrection. The Hindus have no resurrection. Confucius has no resurrection. The only silly group of people is them crazy Christians believe in the resurrection. And I, my passion and my heart, I have a very dear friend who lives in glory right now. And he'd always prayed for revival in this country. And um, I understand why. He, his first sermon he ever preached was going from boat to boat as the men were going to Dunkirk to rescue the British soldiers from the Germans. That was his first message. And... Uh, My prayers for many, many years was for revival. And I'm talking true revival. I'm not, I'm not talking a religious, we're going to have fun, kumbaya thing. I'm talking what we've received, we now stand in revival. And now I have changed. My prayer has changed. I pray that those who are truly His will live lives based on the resurrection what you're celebrating this day, and whether you've got 
eggs and chocolate or I don't, I don't know what you're going to do. I'm going to go home and eat, but I do that every Sunday. Whatever it is, do you understand its significance for you? For you. He died to redeem you from your sin. And he was so successful at it that God received the offering and said, this is so perfect, I'll raise him from the dead as proof. And any who would believe will follow my son. Into the grave, out of the grave. Romans 6 says you have been baptized into his death. You've been identified with his death. Why? To raise, to walk in the newness of life. You know what's funny about that text? It's present tense. You this day who are truly saved walk in resurrection life. You may not act like it. You may not even want to believe it. That's fine. But it's still true. And you know what? <laughs> when you walk out of here today, you're guilty of that information. <laughs> Yeehaw! Right? That's my responsibility. That's Brian's responsibility. That's those who have been given the privilege of teaching the Word of God's responsibility is to give you the information. So now you're guilty of it. <laughs> what a job. I want you to think about these things. I do not know how much time we have. The most valuable thing you have is time. I don't know how much is in the bank, but I do know this. Each and every one of you this day has the privilege to have the eternal death, the, the privilege of dealing with the eternal destiny of souls. No greater calling, no greater responsibility. And you know what else? No greater privilege. And the only way you're going to do with that and deal with that is if you do it in the power of the resurrected Christ. Got it? No problem. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the resurrection. And thank you for our salvation. Father, as we linger this day, as we ponder this day, as we rejoice in this day, as we are overwhelmed by this day, Father, help us. Help us to die to self as no longer we who live, but only Christ living through us. Help these vessels be vessels of honor and glory. Father, help us who labor for you. Build with gold and silver and precious stone that at your testing, at your judgment, it shines refined. Father, thank you. He is not there. Thank you, Father, that he is at your right hand, even this moment, interceding on behalf of us. And Father, I pray that you will give us eyes to see and ears to hear. 
And that, Father, we will not fall away to another love. But we will embrace our first love. To your glory, to your praise. In Christ's name. Amen.